I want to bring to you today one message, and it's called grace-based relationships. And so as we talk about grace-based relationships, my text is taken from the Sermon on the Mount. It's known as the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Um, Wall Street, the dog-eat-dog world would have us to think that we do unto others before they do unto us. You got to get them before they get you. As Christians, we can't be containing that, that poison or that venom of vengeful thinking. We have to live above all the fray and all the division. <coughs> Pardon me. <clears throat> the scripture says in Matthew chapter 7, Here is a simple rule of thumb guide for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you. These next four words are so great. It says, then grab the initiative. It's, I guess my battery's going down. Then grab the initiative and do it for them. Add up God's law and prophets, and this is what you get. So where we normally say, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, this kind of opens it up and unpacks it a little bit. It says, ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. See, the law is all about thou shalt not. It's restraint. It's a demand. It's a requirement that you not. Thou shalt not fill in the blank. Okay? But Jesus flips that thing over and he says the positive side of this to fulfill this is you know how you want to be treated. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you and how you want them to treat you. Then grab the initiative and do that for them. Don't wait for them to do it for you first and then you return it. Go ahead and be the one who steps out and initiates it. Grab the initiative and do it for them. All of the law and the prophets is summed up in this. This is what you get when you recognize the gospel light shined on it, okay? My one thing is this. I use a a teaching tool that I call One Thing, and it's because we revisit one phrase that sums up the message that'll grab each of the points and will give us a way to kind of tie it up in a nice package in a bow, okay? It says, because we have received God's grace, we're empowered to live by grace and give by grace. We know that it's grace that saved us, We recognize that grace is this gift from God. This morning, say this like you mean it. Come on, give me the one thing. Because we have received God's grace, we're empowered to live by grace and give by grace. Now, that's about 40%. Come on, like you mean it, everybody. Because we have received God's grace, we're empowered to live by grace and give by grace. I'm thankful for my Baptist friends because they have taught us. It's come from their voice. They have megaphoned this, grace is God's unmerited favor. And that's beautiful. Unmerited means I don't earn it. I don't deserve it. There's nothing in me, of me, out from me that would curry God's favor so that he would give me his acceptance, his love, his grace. It's unmerited. I can't get a gold star and God give me his grace. God gives me grace outside of my work or my attitude or my action, despite my sinfulness, he gives me his grace. And that's beautiful, but it's only half the definition because the second part of the definition, not only is grace God's unmerited favor, grace is God's operational power. Paul said, by grace, I am what I am. And he talks about the things that he was able to accomplish as an apostle. He said, it's not in my own strength, but it's by the grace of God. 
Okay, so grace is not merely unmerited favor covering my sin, but it's also operational power within me, giving me the ability to do what the law could not do. The law makes an external demand. Grace is an internal empowerment. We've said that in our one thing because we have received God's grace. We're what? Say it. We're empowered to live by grace and give by grace. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness, your mercy that you've poured out upon us. Thank you for your grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you have bestowed love and mercy that is everlasting upon us. They are new every morning, your mercies. Thank you today that you are good and you are forever good. We love you, Lord. We ask you today to be in these words. Thank you that your presence was evident in that worship. Holy Spirit, do today in our midst what only you can do. I'm desperate for you. I need you more than I've ever needed you before. And I ask you today to deliver this word custom designed, tailor-made for every individual in this room and those that are listening online. We'll be careful to give you the praise. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. And everybody said, amen. You love the Lord? Say amen. Victory Church, when we go, to, go through foundations, we expand into four things. We say Victory Church is presence-centered. Presence-centered means we recognize that it's going to take the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit, His work and His Spirit and His service, His flow in our lives. This service should be a culmination of what we personally have experienced, Him working and moving his presence being the center of our lives all week long. We come in here and out of an overflow of joy, we encounter this, this corporate anointing, this corporate presence of Christ and the Holy Spirit. So Victory Church is presence-centered. That means that if he doesn't show up, I don't even want to be here. I don't want to go through religious motions. I don't want to do church calisthenics and everybody show up except God. I want, I want it to be the testimony that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and he says, you know what, when you come together and you worship, the unbeliever will say, truly, God is in that place. And I believe that as long as we'll keep our hearts focused on seeking the Lord and his spirit, his presence being the center of everything we do, I think he will always bless us with that. Somebody say amen. Secondly, Victory Church is not only presence-centered, but it is also gospel-driven. The gospel is not just the good news that Jesus died so I could go to heaven. That is one sliver of the whole pie. Jesus Christ, the gospel is the good news that he is king right now. He is Lord of all. When I recognize the gospel is not just about getting me heaven-bound, but it's about giving me, making me earth-prepared to live to be fully functional as a citizen of the kingdom of God, colonizing a foreign place. I'm an alien in a foreign land, and I'm here with the light and the love and the gospel of the kingdom of God. Thirdly, Victory Church is kingdom-focused. Everything we do is with that focus to the end. Victory Church exists to make disciples who honor God and advance his kingdom. What is his kingdom? It's his lordship. It's his government. We don't use the word Lord except in church unless you are in England, and we talk about lords and dukes and that sort of thing. But in America, we don't use the word Lord unless you, 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 in the South, you talk about the good Lord. And I've never understood that. I mean, it kind of implies there's a bad one if you talk about the good Lord. 
I don't know how, why we do that. But anyway, that, I didn't have that. wasn't in my first message this morning. Let me stop and grab a hold of myself. He's Lord. He's King, capital K, of little k, kings. He's L, capital L, Lord, of little l, lords. He's Lord of lords. He's King of kings. And his government, when I, when I recognize that he rules in every area of my life, and I submit to that, it's amazing how I don't have to just beg him to bless my plans because when I make him Lord, he reveals his plans and he always blesses his plans. Put your hands together and give him praise. And finally, we say Victory Church is presence-centered, gospel-driven, kingdom-focused, grace-based relationships. We unpack this a little bit in our foundations class. But grace-based relationships, what is this? What, what, what makes us really drive toward this? Because Southern churchianity, notice I didn't say Southern Christianity. Southern churchianity has a, an overpopulation of legalism and Pharisees in it. Folk who've really actually been saved and know Jesus as Savior and Lord, but somewhere get disconnected from the fact of what God delivered them from, and they start living out of a self-righteous attitude, and that produces a judgmental, finger-pointing condemnation that anybody walks in the door that's different from them, looks different, thinks different, politically thinks different, you know, struggles a different class, a different social strata, different level of education, different whole kind of culture, lifestyle, struggling in some kind of pattern of sinful behavior, and the judgment comes out. I, I, I really, I, I love that Planet Fitness slogan that it's a judgment-free zone. Let me just tell you, when I, when I say judgment-free, I don't mean check your discernment at the door. You need to be wise and discerning, but you just don't need to be condemning in the sense of being judgmental. Are you following me? We don't need to just judge people and look them up and down, give them a once-over and write them off. The gospel says, whosoever will may come. If you automatically write off any group of people and say, I don't want those people in my church, you have just limited the scope of the gospel of God in this community. I don't care what they're doing. I don't care how vile their sin is. If they don't have a chance to get into a place where people will show them the love of God and they can hear clearly the gospel message of God's love and grace, they have never have an opportunity to change and break free from what keeps them in bondage. Come on, somebody say amen. Everybody needs to hear the gospel. The gospel that God loved us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. I love it. The holidays that we celebrate, Christmas, it's, it's God with us. Easter is God for us. Jesus died for us. But then Pentecost Sunday is God in us. Come on, somebody. You need some God in you. Hallelujah. God is for us and God is with us, but God is also in us. So this morning as we talk about grace-based relationships, I want to ask what are they? What are grace-based relationships? And the way to define that is to contrast them with law-based relationships. We preach and we worship a God who is so big, whose love is unconditional and his mercies are everlasting. Lamentation says they're new every morning. The psalmist said from everlasting to everlasting, his mercies never end. How many of you are thankful for his mercy? If we didn't have his mercy, we'd be dead. If we didn't have his mercy, we would be in hell. Thankful for his mercy. Don't ever pray for justice. Justice means you get what you deserve. 
Thank God right now we have his mercy, and that means we don't get what we deserve. But grace is bigger than all of that. Grace is getting what I don't deserve. It's his blessing over and above. It's not just the penalty has been forgiven and, and, and all of my sin debt has been rolled away, but he's also poured every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 1.3, has been delivered into a package. Amazon has put it on my front doorstep. And it's the blessings of God. Hallelujah. I love it. What are grace-based relationships? Well, they're not law-based. You don't want a law-based relationship with your heavenly Father because the law is meticulous. It makes demands. It sets requirements. They're external codes that tell you that if you do this, you're not good enough. If you do that, you're not good enough. If you don't do this or do that, you're not good enough. Basically, at the end of the day, none of us are good enough. No, not one. None is righteous. No, not one. There is therefore now no condemnation to those which walk in Christ Jesus, who walk, after, who, not, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. i got to flow. I, I'm going to quote some scripture a little bit. This is what in my first message notes. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemn sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. The law is an external code that makes a demand from the outside, but I'm dead in sin. I don't have the ability to obey God's good and holy law. But grace comes inside and it empowers me to live by grace and give by grace. And now what the law could not do because of my weak flesh, Christ who lives inside of me gives me the ability... The law says you have to. Grace says I want to. I want to please God. I want to bless God. I want to, I want to do good works, not to earn God's favor, but because God's already given me his favor as a free gift, I do good works. Grace is the root of my tree. Good works are the fruit on my tree. Are you following me this morning? Now, that's just good Baptist preaching right there that I'm giving you, the whole root and fruit thing. I got that from a Baptist preacher. I love that. Love that, love that, love that. But what I want you to see this morning is what are these grace-based relationships? I can't preach and love a God who loves me by grace and then treat all my brothers and sisters based on law. I can't love God who loves me in spite of my brokenness. Jesus died to justify me. He lives to sanctify me and he's coming back to glorify me. Now put you in the place of me in every one of those sentences. He justified you in his death. He sanctifies you through his life. And at his return, you will see him in a new glorified body. I believe, I don't care how crazy that sounds, I believe that with all of my heart. But until then, we're all in process. Nobody in the room is perfect. Guys, you looking for a perfect church, don't join it. Because when you do, it won't be perfect anymore. Because you ain't it. I'll be the first to say, I ain't it. Come on, we're not here for the guy on the platform or the worship or the music or how good you like it or the preaching or any of that stuff or even as wonderful as that we have amazing people. We are a friendly congregation. We are known as a church that, that hugs and loves and embraces and accepts. And not a lot of judgment around here. So, okay, if there's not, why are you doing it, Pastor? Because I'm going to keep it from getting in here. That's why I'm preaching this message this morning. Why is it that we so often look to God for his grace, but then we... We serve a God who unconditionally loves us, but we put conditions on everybody else. 
Oh, well, I'll love you as long as you don't do that. Or I'll love you as long as you will do this for me. And all those are, that's a law-based relationship. I need grace in three areas. My three points, here they come. Grace in thought, grace in word, and grace in deed. Number one, let's grab it. Grace in thought. Philippians chapter four, verses eight and nine say this. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling. Everybody say gracious. Gracious. And he says, the best and not the worst, the beautiful and not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Isn't it amazing how so often if we are plagued with a negative mindset that we always think the worst about someone after our first impression? You can't judge a book by its cover. Only God looks on the heart. We look on the external And as much as you think you can read someone, and I do believe that there is a discerning of spirits, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you can operate in that. But even at that, that is with a view toward grace. If you discern something that is an evil presence around someone, you're a messenger that will bring deliverance to them. That's what the church is supposed to be. We're to be light in darkness. We're to be salt in the middle of all the the corruption and all the junk that's happening in our nation right now. And we have to order our thinking. We cannot let our minds be chaotic. That just anything that comes along, any bird that flies over my head can build a nest. I have to order my thinking. The the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Verse 5 says, casting down imaginations in every high thing which exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. A stray thought comes across my mind that's not the mind of Christ and I have to lasso that thing with the word and drag that calf in. I have to rope it and go, nope, you're gonna be obedient to the nature of Jesus, of who he is. I am, that's not me. First of all, don't condemn yourself because you have a crazy thought. I have crazy thoughts and they come most when I get down to pray. I, I can make up my mind that I'm going to pray and seek the Lord about something, and here comes the parade. Here's the parade of all kinds of ridiculous thoughts I haven't thought of in 42 years. I remember stuff. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I don't think that's a coincidence. I think the enemy has an, his MO, his modus operandi is distraction. It, it's, it's try to surprise. It's try to knock you off course. And, and real prayer is spiritual warfare. You have to battle through stuff. And I have to order my thinking. I have to make it obedient to Christ. And so I make decisions. I fill my mind and I meditate on things that are true and noble and reputable and authentic and compelling and gracious. I train myself to look for the best and not the worst, the beautiful and not the ugly. Please, please hear me this morning. Do not be distracted because of the outrageous tumult and turmoil and the chaos that's going on in our world and our problems that we face. This truly is a beautiful world. There is beauty all around you and the enemy wants to distract you from the goodness and the shalom and the peace of God. I thought I'd get a better amen than that right there. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We have, to, we have to focus our attention. Focus, we have to keep our eyes focused 
on the author and the finisher of our faith, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. He says, the best and not the worst, the beautiful and not the ugly, things to praise and not the things to, things to curse. You can always find something wrong if you're looking for it. What are you looking for this morning? Proverbs says, you look for evil, you'll find it. You go moving every rock, looking for a snake or a demon, guess what? You're going to find it because there are plenty of demons around. There are plenty of evil forces. There are plenty of bad ideas. There's plenty improper, corrupt motivation that can enter in and tempt and begin to move and motivate somebody. But I want to tell you, I want you to train yourself to look for the best and not the worst, the beautiful and not the ugly. Somebody say amen. It's important that I order my thinking, that I, that I grab hold of my thoughts and I let the word of the Lord be present in my thoughts. I, as I share this this morning, I want you to remember that what we think moves us to a place of what we speak. And so the second point is we are to have grace in our words. The scripture says that death and life is in the power of the tongue. I have that choice. I can bless something. I can curse something. James, as Pastor Jeremy just gave us, said that shouldn't be coming from the same mouth. It's like good water and bad water doesn't come from the same fountain. Blessing and cursing shouldn't come from the same mouth. Okay? You don't grow figs in thorns and thistles. It's the nature produces the character. Because we have received God's grace, we are empowered to live by grace and give by grace. Point number two, grace in word. Colossians chapter four, verses five and six. He says, use your heads as you live and work among outsiders. Don't miss a trick. Make the most of every opportunity. Verse Six, be gracious in your speech. Everybody say gracious. The, the, the King James says it this way. Let your speech be with grace, seasoned with salt. King James gives us this idea of salt. Salt has two purposes, to preserve and to, um, it, it, it has a preserving effect of uh, keeping something well, or what's the word, healthy, um, in good shape. You know how you have a salt-cured ham? So it keeps, it preserves the ham. But salt also drives back corruption, okay? And so our, our words should be salty. Doesn't mean we talk like a sailor, but it, they should have a preserving element to them. They should have life in them. They should affect people with encouragement. Doesn't mean we don't ever bring a word of correction, but when you do it, it has to be given in a right spirit of love. Somebody say Amen. He says, make the most of every opportunity. Be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not put them down, not cut them out. This is so important. We, we want God to speak words of kindness and blessing and, and enlargement and abundance and goodness over us. But then far too often we see a friend or a neighbor or a relative or a a co-believer beside us slip in an area that we don't struggle with and we get judgmental and condemning with them and we speak words that are down. I, I believe that this is, these days is so critical when it comes to how we use our social media. I have observed, I've really been ashamed of so many Christian leaders the last five years and how they've behaved in political issues in making one guy almost as if he is a, 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 
a Christ figure and painting the other guy as if he's an antichrist. And it's just so, it's, it's so beneath what we're to be as representatives of the kingdom of God. It's so important that we stop and think for a moment and pray before we hit send on a post that we put up when we go on a rant. Because we, we get really brave when all we have is our, the screen of our phone in front of us and we're on Instagram or we're on Facebook or whatever, or you're on Twitter and, and you just get really brave and you just, you're going to tell them all off and you're going to straighten them all out because after all, you're at a, your view is the only right one there is. And when we have that or we portray that, we end up, we, we, we gripe about the division in our nation, but yet we contribute to it. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching so good. A young Southern Baptist pastor for whom I have a great deal of respect, his name is Shane Pruitt. I've never had the chance to meet him yet, but I will. He posted something the other day that so moved me, I reposted it again on my story, Insta story on Instagram. And he said, vaxxers and anti-vaxxers both need Jesus. Maskers and anti-maskers both need Jesus. Conservatives and liberals all need Jesus. Red states and blue states all need Jesus. When I use my voice to give my opinion about lesser things, I lose my voice to share the most important thing, Jesus. Put your hands together. Go ahead. You started. I think that's where the church is right now. I think we have discredited our voice because we've painted the signs and we've grabbed the bullhorns and we've shouted in the face of people that maybe they are in a sinful pattern of living or a lifestyle or whatever. And we've missed the ability to actually share the gospel and the love of God that is the one thing that can transform them. Our legalistic approach will not do anything but just drive them farther from God. We need grace. God gave us grace. Now we're empowered to live by grace and give by grace. I... As I close this, I've got one more point. This is my last point. I want you to recognize that what we think becomes what we speak, and what we speak will eventually become what we do. If you think about it long enough, you'll start talking about it. If you talk about it long enough, you'll actually do it, whatever it is, good or bad. Grace in thought, grace in word, grace in deed. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? I'm almost finished. Hang with me. Third point, grace in deed. Ephesians chapter 4 says this, make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, profane talk. Be gentle with one another, sensitive, forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. I want you, I don't have, would you put that up on the thing for me, please? Yeah, there it is. One, two, three, four lines down. Everybody say forgive. All right, next to last line, forgave. Everybody say forgave. Notice the word give and gave in forgive and forgave. Some of us are carrying junk, resentments, bitterness, a grudge, anger, frustration with something that happened to us, gosh, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Still mad at them. Relationship's not been reconciled. Maybe a family member. And you know what? That this never excuses the victim that you were made to be. And I, I, I want you to know that we're here to help you get healed from what happened to you. I'm sorry for what happened to you that made you a victim and made you offended. But it, as soon as you get up from there, it is your responsibility on how you're going to handle that. It's mine. I have been the victim of unfair words 
unfair actions from people. And if I let that fester and become a, a boil that is full of corruption and then it just swells and it's sensitive to the touch, then I become grumpy and it affects my life and how I treat everybody else around me. And unhealthy people make other people unhealthy. Hurt people hurt people. And we got to get well. We got to get healed. And how we can do that is we deal with our past. We're thankful that Jesus forgave us of our sins. And no matter how great the offense that came against us from someone else, I have to come to the place to let it go and forgive them and release them. Because I'm telling you something, the bitterness that has lodged in our hearts doesn't hurt them. It just hurts me and the people that are directly around me. It becomes cancerous. It becomes disease-ridden. It's like demonic spirits are attracted to that kind of stuff. You end up getting oppressed and depressed. Forgive. You see the word give in it? Forgive. And as God forgave us, he gave himself. Now, lest you think that I'm talking about some kind of grace that's just greasy licentiousness, I've got one more scripture for you and I'm going I'm to close. Titus 2 says it this way, For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation. Grace brings salvation, as we know. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. The law is an external demand screaming at me, thou shalt not, or thou shalt. That can't make a dead person do anything. But now grace is a, an animated spirit. It's alive in me. It is the presence of the Holy One inside me. And now I have the ability where the law says you have to, grace says now I want to. I have been empowered because I've received grace. I'm empowered to live by grace and give by grace. I remember in the 80s, the Nancy Reagan drug campaign of just say no. And about that time, I had been reading the NIV translation. It had come out a few years prior in the early 70s. And, and I've, I have, I've grown up on the King James. I've memorized two-thirds of it, can quote most of it. But years ago, I recognized that I was taking too much time on my messages trying to explain words that we don't use anymore, that are 300, 400-year-old Elizabethan English words that we were, I was having to break down the Greek and explain to people. 1 Corinthians 16, quit ye like men. What in the world does quit ye like men mean? Well, I found a new translation that says, get up and act like a man. <laughs> now, it's politically incorrect to say that these days. But how do you know it's still the word of God? Quit ye like men. I mean, that's, that's Shakespearean, it's poetic, but what, what do it mean in the 21st century? Well, that's why we use other translations I, I go back to the King James, but I also love the message that I'm using today. It's beautiful. And the NIV at that time of that Nancy Reagan Just Say No to Drugs campaign, I happened to read, and it said in this passage, for the grace of God has appeared unto all men, bringing salvation, teaching us to just say no to ungodliness. Isn't that good? Just say no to ungodliness. The, 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 the message, or I'm sorry, the ESV here says, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So don't think for a second that when I'm preaching grace, I'm just preaching that you can do anything, whatever the heck you want to. No. If you really have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you want to live to please God. 
if you have really been born again, you desire to, to do something that represents God's kingdom and his love. You don't want to be an angry Christian. God, if there's anything that's so ridiculously wrong with folk right now, I saw myself a few years ago just constantly frustrated and angry and I had to turn off that 24-hour news cycle because it was keeping me stirred up and ticked off. And I found myself getting in the pulpit and preaching with an angry spirit and I had to repent of that and I realized what was causing it. It was because I was watching too much and I'm going to tell the name of the network I was watching. It just keeps you mad all the time. You be your own judge and jury. Stick the thermometer in your own mouth. Check your spiritual temperature. If you're angry all the time, find out why. Are you offended? You have some unforgiveness you need to deal with? Are you watching too much of the news all the time that's constantly stirring you up and giving you an opinion that you know you think everybody else needs to hear? It says, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. God wants me to have good works now, but they flow as a fruit out of a life that's already saved. I'm not trying to work my way into salvation by my good works. I live out of a joy-filled life doing things for people and for God's kingdom because I'm already saved. I'm already accepted. I already have his grace inside of me. Somebody say amen. Grace gives us want to where law demands we have to. My last illustration this morning, I'm thinking about John chapter 8 and the woman who was caught in adultery. And they dragged her dirty face, dragged her through the dirt, and her robe is torn. She's probably struggling to keep her nakedness covered. And she's in tears because she knows the penalty of the law, that she could be stoned by the people of God. And Pharisees are standing out there and they're waging accusations and they're wagging their finger and they bring her before Jesus and Jesus in his wisdom says, okay, yes, this woman was caught in adultery. Now, now mind you, they didn't bring, if she was caught in the act, there had to have been a dude there with her, but they didn't bring the dude. That's another message. You want to know why? Because he was probably one of their friends. And so she's standing there, she's in tears, they're accusing her, and they've, the, 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 you, could, you could literally cut the tension in the crowd with a knife because all the Pharisees already have loaded up with rocks in their hands, ready to carry out the requirement of the law that a woman in adultery be stoned to death and drive the evil from the camp. Jesus looks at them with love in his heart and he says, okay, we can go that route, but before we do, I want any of you without sin, I want you to step forward and cast the first stone. And slowly the sound of hands opening and rocks hitting the ground began to pepper through the crowd of Pharisees and the other people that were watching. And the scripture says one by one, they dropped their stones and they walked away. Because there wasn't a man out there who was sinless except for the one asking the question, Jesus. Come on. And Jesus looked at the woman and he said, where are your accusers? And she said, I, I guess they're gone. And he said, okay, go your way. He didn't stop there though. He didn't just say, go your way. He said, go your way and sin no more. There's always another chance. 
the gospel always offers another time. God's, God's forgiveness is, is wipe the slate clean one more time. Come on, come on, I believe in you. You're my child. I, I lean into my grace. Get up on your feet and stand up in faith. You can, you can whip this. You can put this addiction behind you. It may have been in six generations prior to you and you've been told your whole life that because your great, 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 great granddaddy and everybody down the line through then was all this, they were all an alcoholic, so you know it's in your blood, you're going to be an alcoholic. Guess what? Because you are blood-bought, because you were born again, because you have grace inside you and the Spirit of God, you will be the generation that breaks that curse. It can stop with your generation. And you can in turn build some champions for children that don't have the same expectation of outcome on their life that you were told your whole life that you would have to be a failure. No, no, no. You can stop it. It can stop with you. Because an interruption, a divine but God comes into your life. Yes, that's the way you were headed. But God turned you around and set your feet on. You were, you were swimming in the murky mud of destruction. But he lifted you up and set your feet on a rock. And he put a new song in your mouth. I'm quoting Psalm 40. And David said, and many shall see it and fear the Lord. Because they'll see what the Lord has done in my life. Hallelujah. Not in my own strength. Without him, I am nothing. But with him, I can do anything he's called me to do. Hallelujah. Is anybody encouraged in the room this morning? Anybody encouraged in the house? I, I, with all the technological advances that we've had, I, I just long for the day that we can, when we can install a spiritual medical, metal detector at every entrance to this church. You know, you walk through it at the airport. They want to make sure you don't. You know, I, I went on a trip to New York City recently, and I forgot that I had a little bitty tiny pocket knife in my backpack, and it was way down on the bottom of it. And you know, they, that thing went through that deal, and they pulled me to the side, and I went, wow, what's going on? I, I've, I've never been frisked. So they make me empty the contents of my backpack, and sure enough, it's a little $20 knife that I forgot I had in there. And just had to throw it away. I just want to go, okay, I bet y'all, I bet y'all rake in some stuff is what you, you TSA dudes, you know. Well, there's, I, I mean, I'm 20 minutes from my flight. I'm not going to take it back to my car. It's at Fast Park. It'd take me 30 minutes to get there and back. I, I just threw it away. You know, but I wish that we had a, a spiritual metal detector at the door so that when you come in with your weapons and your knives and your bitterness and your anger and your rocks of legalism, that we could basically, let me just tell you right now, I'm going to frisk everybody in the room in the Holy Ghost. Now, maybe that, I should, probably should have thought through that image before I said it. Not going to touch anybody. Hands behind my back. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to frisk you this morning. Drop your weapons. Throw down your bag of rocks. Let's quit accusing and getting ourselves all up into a big anger, ready to stone somebody because they see life from a different political stance than we do or they're gripped with a, an addiction that we've never struggled with. Folks in this room are tempted with stuff that I'm not tempted with. I don't understand it. But you know what? I'm tempted with stuff you're not tempted with either. And you know, we're gonna have, we have to have grace. Our God has grace for us. We have to have grace for each other. Come on, put your hands together. Help me, Holy Spirit, this morning. I believe that there is an opportunity as we close 
this service today because we have received God's grace. We're empowered to live by grace and give by grace. Lights are going down. I want you to bow your heads and hearts with me, please. Nobody looking around as we close this service out this morning. The scripture says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We immediately associate saved with going to heaven. And that's one benefit. But that word, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, is not just a ticket to heaven. It means free, set at liberty, completely unencumbered, no more bondage, no more lack, complete abundance, the blessing of God in your life. Man, it's so much bigger than just a a pass through the pearly gates. It's right now. God's leadership, his guidance, his love, his abundance in my life. This morning, if you've never crossed the line of faith and gotten a taste of this grace we're talking about, it's available to you by simply turning to him and saying, Jesus, save me, I trust you. This morning, you may have already been walking with the Lord for years, possibly decades, but you've struggled with the weight. There's, there's some unforgiveness, some bitterness. There's some stones you're carrying around in your backpack and it's heavy because you've been hurt, you've been offended, you've been wounded, you've been upset. And today, because God has given you his grace and he forgave you, it's time to take a step and forgive those who have offended us and hurt us and wounded us for our own health, just to let it go and let God take care of it. So heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around. If there's anyone in the room that would say, Pastor, please pray for me. Would you slip your hand up? I want to pray for you right now. Anybody in the room? Yes, one in the far back back there, I see you. Anyone else? Thank you, Lord. Yes, yes, and another one. Thank you for helping me in the booth. I see that one on this side over here too. Okay, let's just take this moment and just ask the Lord. Just pray this after me. Everybody say, Father, I, I hear this word. I need this word. I choose to forgive I let go, I release, I set free those who have hurt me. Let me, oh God, walk in your love and your joy and your fullness in my life. Jesus, help us. For those who've never crossed that line of faith, very simply, you just say this in your heart and pray this this morning. Father, thank you for your love and your grace upon me. I turn from my past and I turn to you in faith and I ask you to forgive me. Be Lord of my life. Jesus, save me. I trust you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Put your